You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. If you would grab your Bibles, look with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. You can take the sermon notes if you'd like. Because of the hope of Christ in our lives, we can be a part of changing people's story. You believe that? Because of the presence of Christ in us, obviously it's not me that's changing people, it's not you that's changing people, but it's the presence of Christ in us and the hope that we have that can position us to be a part of God's transforming work in people's lives, a part of changing their story. See, this is what I know every day we are processing life with individuals who are desperate for hope. Every day, you are rubbing shoulders with people in your neighborhood, in the marketplace, in your school. You're rubbing shoulders with people who are desperate. They're desperate for hope. If we have eyes to see, if we have ears to hear, if we're willing to get engaged, then we can be a part of changing people's story as we're living out a contagious faith. See, the hope we have in Christ is not just a hope to be enjoyed and celebrated. It's a hope to be shared. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a hope to be shared. Go ahead and tell them. It's a hope to be shared. It's not just a, obviously we, we should celebrate the hope we have in Christ. We should enjoy the hope we have in Christ. Matter of fact, we spent 20, 25 minutes celebrating hope this morning. That's what worship was all about. What were we doing? We were celebrating hope. But, but, more, but more than just celebrating hope and enjoying hope, We're called to share hope. The hope we have should be contagious and desperate to a watching world. It's the hope that we have in Christ that should be a part of of changing the stories of people's lives. Here's a a great illustration of that. We have a ministry here at Grace Covenant that happens in the the winter season. Actually, we're going to be kicking it off before long called Room in the Inn. Room in the Inn. If you're not familiar with Room in the Inn, this is what it is. During the winter months, we bring our homeless neighbors from the city up to Grace Covenant, and they spend a night here at Grace Covenant. They're loved on, they're cared for, they're graciously, generously served, and what do they do? In the midst of it, they experience hope. Now, because of their situation being being homeless, and they're homeless for a lot of different reasons, a lot of different stories, but this is what I can tell you. If you're in a homeless state, most of the time you're in a hopeless state. So pretty much for these individuals who came to the Grace Covenant campus, they were, they were without hope. But here at Grace Covenant, they experienced hope through individuals who were serving them. They experienced hope through individuals who, had a, who, who have a contagious faith, living out in that faith, serving others. They experienced hope through individuals listening to their story. They experienced hope through a wonderful hot meal that was served to them. They experienced hope as they had their clothes laundry. They experienced hope as they had a warm bed to sleep in. But they were experiencing the hope of Christ evident in the lives of those who were serving them. Throughout last season, 2015, we had the privilege of serving 125 homeless individuals. Of those 125 we served, there were eight individuals who received Christ as their Savior. One individual who rededicated their lives. Why? They were encountered by hope. They were engaged by hope. God bless you. They experienced hope in the life of someone who was serving them. 
I believe that as we live out the hope of Christ, as we live a contagious faith, then we can be a part of changing the story of people's lives. See, as Christians, we have a great hope, not because we live a problem-free life, but because God is for us. He's for us. Remember Romans 8, 31 and 32. I'm going to get to 1 Peter in just a moment. But, but listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 8, 31, 32. He says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So we have great hope today because of the grace and mercy of God has brought about salvation in our lives. Not only that, we have great hope today because God is always working for our good. That doesn't mean that times are always good. How many of you know at times uh, there's difficulties, right? At times there's adversity. At times life's just not fun. Can we say that this morning? It's true. But even when life's not good, God is always good. And that's the hope. We have hope because of salvation, hope because of the fact that God is working for our good. And it's this great hope we have that needs to be shared with a hopeless world. The very faith we profess should be evident, it should be contagious to a watching world. That they would see the hope in our lives and be attracted to it. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 uh, listen to what Peter wrote, because there are a couple of different places in this book where Peter talks about expressing our hope to others. But in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter wrote these words, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. In other words, Peter says you need to get yourself prepared. You need to think about, you need to process through Why do I have hope so that when someone comes along and asks you because you're living this contagious hope that attracts other people, when they come and ask you, you're able to say, well, I'm glad you asked me. Here's the reason I have hope. You always be ready to give the reason for the hope. So let's talk about that for a minute. When I say let's talk about it, that means we're going to interact. So wake your neighbor up and say, hey, we're going to talk with the preacher for a minute. Go ahead and wake him up. He says that we need... We need to have a reason for our hope. So, so let's talk about that. What is the reason for our hope? Okay, that's a great place to start. Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the reason. Je- Jesus came and gave his life that we might have life. He died on a cross, resurrected on the third day, that we might have John 10, 10, that we might have life and then fullness of life, that we might have abundant life today and eternal life. So obviously we have to start there. The reason for our hope is Jesus Christ. But beyond that, what's the reason for your hope? Really loud, I'm almost deaf. Grace, the wonder of God's grace for our lives. Here's the good news this morning. You didn't have to get your all, get, you didn't have to get yourself all cleaned up to come to God. Isn't that good news? You didn't have to work. What it, it was the gift. We have hope because of grace. Not just tied to salvation, but the broader term of grace means this, the favor of God. Get this, the favor of God is chasing after you. How many of you know that can bring some hope in your life, right? So grace. What else would be a reason for the hope we have? Faith in the unseen. Faith in the fact that, that God is in control when it looks like everything else is out of control. 
Because that can be a, that can be something that can rock our hope, right? That can drain our hope when we look at the world, or we look at our government, or we look at our nation, and it seems like wow, everything's out of control. But when we have faith that God is always in control, why? Because His Word says He's in control. How many of you know that's a reason for hope? So, someone else. Well, what's the reason for Cheryl? You said joy. Peace is even better. We'll take some of both, a little joy, a little peace. Then we have, we can have hope. The reason for our hope is because there's the peace of Christ in our lives. Because the peace we have with God. The scripture says we've been, we've been reconciled with God. The two have been brought together that we might be at peace with God. And there's a reason for hope. Someone else, a reason for hope. I'm sorry. His mercy, his, his mercy connected to his grace to us. Absolutely. Someone else. Heard someone over here? The love, the love of God for God so loved the world for the love of God that's always pursuing us, that's chasing after us, that's committed to our well-being and our good. This is what I know this morning. Listen, there's no place I can go that God's love's not already there. How many of you know that can give you some hope? Here's just we need to be we need to be aware of the reason for the hope that we have because as we're living this hope out, this is what's going to happen. People are going to come and say, "Why do you have hope in the midst of a hopeless world? Why do you have hope in the midst of what appears to be a hopeless situation?" He says, "Be ready, be prepared to give an answer for the hope you have." See, as you're living out this contagious faith. And it's going to open the opportunity for you to share the hope of the gospel. To plant the seed of the gospel. And so Peter, writing here to these early believers, and Pastor Michelle did a phenomenal job last week talking about hope in the midst of persecution, hope in the midst of adversity. So Peter here, writing to this, these early believers, uh, they're in an adverse time, a difficult time. So Peter's writing to them about, hey, the hope you have and the hope you share. Because again, listen, hope, the hope of Christ in you is not just the hope for you to celebrate. And that's what, let me get on my, let me step up on my soapbox here just for a minute. <laughs> One of the problems with the church today is we have relegated the church to a place where we just come and celebrate hope. And then when we leave here, we don't take hope with us. We don't share hope. We don't carry forth hope. We come and we celebrate hope, which we should. I'm all for that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But it's not just to celebrate, it's to be shared. So Peter here, writing to the early church, is directing them as to how this should be lived out and worked out. So read with me First Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 9. Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, he says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners exiles as aliens to, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits you in this passage of scripture Peter begins by reminding 
us who we are. He begins by reminding these early believers who they are. Hey, it's important for us to remember who we are. It's important for us to know who we are, to consistently, continually go back to who we are in Christ. Because this is one of the things I've come to discover. If you don't know who you are in Christ, then hope leaks. Are you following me? Hope leaks. How many of you know that, that there's, there's times when your hope is really high and there's times when your hope is really low? Listen, Jesus hadn't changed. His word hasn't changed. What's changed? You. Your perspective, your outlook, your thinking. Because right? hope was high and now it's low. Or hope, you know, it's kind of up and down. But one of the things I've come to discover that can fuel hope in your life is for you to know your identity, for you to know who you are in Christ. Because again, if you don't know who you are in Christ, then what happens? Hope drains. Hope leaks. But when you're confident in who you are in Christ... It fuels hope. It feeds hope. It energizes hope in your life. So Peter begins here in this passage of Scripture by really talking about identity. He says, hey guys, you need to know who you are. And he makes four statements of identity here, reminding the early church, reminding us of who we are in Christ. First he says this, you are a chosen people. Turn to, turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you're chosen by God. Go ahead and tell them. How does that make you feel this morning? Pretty good, huh? To know what? That, that the king of the universe, that the God who spoke the world into existence, handpicked you. He chose you that he might reveal his love and grace to you. He chose you that he might bring his goodness into your life. You're chosen. No, 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 you're chosen. Peter goes on to say here that you're a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood, what's that? Well, it's connected back to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament where there were the priests, and the priests were a, a, a select a minority of people. It was a privileged position of the tribe of Levi. Uh, there would be the priests, and their role was to represent the people to God and represent God to the people. That's just a quick summary. But that was the, the role of the priest in the Old Testament. It was a significant role. They were the spiritual leaders of the nation, representing Israel to God. Now, as we come to the new covenant, because of the provision of Jesus Christ, Peter would say, hey, you're a royal priesthood. What does that mean today? It means this. You don't need anyone else to represent you to God. Listen, you don't have to text me. You don't have to email me. You don't have to call me saying, hey, pastor, can you go to God for me? No, listen, you can go all by yourself. You don't need anyone to represent you. You're a royal priesthood. It means this, you don't need anyone else to offer worship for you. You can, wash, you can offer worship all by yourself. It means this, you have the privilege of representing God to the world. That's what the priests did of the old covenant. Representing God. That's the role we have today. It's a privileged role. Who are you? You're a part of a holy priesthood. So, so you're a chosen people. You're, you're part of a holy priesthood. Peter goes on to say you're a holy nation. A holy nation. Here's a little trivia fact for you. You might want to file away somewhere. There are 196 nations in the world today. 196. Now, for there to be a nation, that means there's a geographical boundary and there's a form of government. That would, that would shape a nation. So we, we are a part of the United States of America. That's the nation that we belong to physically. But spiritually speaking, we are a part of a holy nation. 
A holy nation, get this, that has no geographical boundaries. A holy nation that is led by a sovereign king who does not change, who cannot fail, who is everlasting. We're a part of a holy nation that is unconquerable and unshakable. Listen, that's who we are. Holy nation. And then get this. Peter goes on to say, not only are you a holy nation, but you're a special possession. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. In other words, you're, you're valuable. You're treasured to God. You're not, you're not a loser. You're a special possession. You're not worthless. You are full of worth in that you are a special possession to God. We begin to understand who we are as we begin to latch on to our identity. What does it do? Man, it fuels hope in our lives. So who are we? I would like for you to make these statements with me this morning. I want us to read this together. And I would invite you to declare this with conviction. Okay? Because this is what the scripture says about who you are. So would you read this with me this morning? I am chosen by God. I am a member of a royal priesthood. I am a member of a holy nation. I am a special possession. It's these facts, it's these truths, folks, that give us hope. But it's not, as I said, it's not just a hope for us to enjoy. It's a a hope for us to share with a world that desperately needs hope. So as I wrap this up this morning, I want us to look to verse 11 and 12. I want to leave you with three statements as to how we can live out a contagious faith. How how we can live out a faith where the hope we have is that which is attractive to others. That that which which draws others. Here it was St. Francis of Assisi who said, Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. And one of the great ways that we can preach the gospel at all times is to live a hope filled life. To live our lives in such a way that hope is like flowing over out of our lives. So that everywhere we go, people get hope splashed on them. Why? Because we're full of hope. That, that people would see, experience, the hope of Christ from our lives. So from the words of, of Peter in verses 11 and 12, let me leave you with these three ways that you can live a hope-filled, contagious faith. The first thing that Peter says is this, fully embrace the fact that you are an alien in this world. Verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as, as foreigners, as exiles, as aliens. And when we hear the word alien, uh, we have all kinds of images that come to our mind because of the day and time in which we live. Because when we hear the word alien today, we think about individuals from outer space, from another time, another world, and they're, they're aliens. And we're thinking, well, we're we supposed to be like that? No. Actually, what Peter's saying, actually a better word here is a foreigner. He says, live your life as a foreigner. Now, why would Peter say that? Because of this. Folks, we are foreigners here and that we're just passing through. This world is not our own. Matter of fact, Paul says it like this to the believers at Philippi. He says, your citizenship is in heaven. It's it's not here. It's not here in this world. Matter of fact, it's just a little something to always remind yourself of. You are a spiritual being having a temporary physical experience. 
a spiritual being created in the image and likeness of God that's having a temporary physical experience that could last 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years, but it's temporary. But the part of you that's the real you is going to last forever in eternity. So Peter says, hey, remember that you're an alien. You're a foreigner. You know, if you were going to take a trip, let's say you were going to take a vacation to Brazil. You were going to go to Brazil for a week and you were going to do all kinds of vacationing thing and things and you were staying in one hotel for a week. How many of you know you wouldn't spend thousands of dollars redecorating the hotel for the week that you were going to be there? That would be foolish, wouldn't it? Why? Because you're a foreigner. You're an alien in that country. You're only there for a week and then you're going to come home. So you wouldn't spend all of that time and money redecorating a hotel that you're just there for a week. In the same way for us as believers, we're, we're, we're just passing through. And this is important because this is a tendency we have. This is, I think it's for, for every, every human. We all struggle with this. And here's our tendency, is that we get so comfortable in the here and now that we lose sight of eternity. We get so driven to gather and consume in our humanity that we can lose sight of the fact that we're not going to be here long. And if we're not careful, we spend our whole life chasing after the temporary when we miss what's eternal. That's why Peter says, live as an alien. Don't lose sight of the fact that that this is really the warm-up lap before the race begins. And when you live with that perspective, listen, you process life differently. It's then that you're living with great hope. Why? Because your hope is not about the here and now. Your hope is about the future that God has for you. And then you're living that in a contagious way. The second directive that Peter gives us here is is found in the second part of of verse 11. He he tells us that we can live a hope-filled, contagious faith by being ruled by the Spirit and not the flesh. Ruled by the Spirit, not the flesh. In the latter part of verse 11, he says, Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now, to be, to be ruled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and not the flesh, means simply this, that the Holy Spirit's calling the shots in your life. That the Holy Spirit's guiding you rather than you guiding you. That the Holy Spirit is um, giving leadership to your life. That's what it means to be controlled by the Spirit rather than controlled by the flesh. And let me tell you, when you live your life controlled by the Holy Spirit, people are going to step back and say, wow, what's so different about you? And then you're going to have an opportunity to give them the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Why? Because you're being led by the Spirit, not the flesh. Let me tell you how this practically works out. This is like really like everyday stuff, uh, how it happens in, in your life, in your home, in your workplace. Let's say... That someone wrongs you or someone offends you or someone takes advantage of you. What's the response of your flesh to that? They get them back. The response of the flesh is revenge. You want to make them pay as they made you pay. You want to make them hurt as they made you hurt. That's the response of the flesh. But what's the response of the spirit? When our lives are spirit led, we give grace that forgives. When you start living like that and folks are going to be stepping back and saying, wow. What's so different about your life? Or here's another illustration. Let's say someone verbally attacks you. 
I mean, like they're on you, uh, in your space. They verbally attack you. What's the response of the flesh? When you blast them back, right? Come on, don't get holy on me. You know, some of you had this experience this morning before you got here to worship. Someone verbally attacks you. What? You get right back in their face. You get in their personal space. But that's a response of the flesh. But when we're directed by the Holy Spirit, what do we do? We speak words of kindness. When you start, start living that out and see if it changes your relationships. By being led by the Spirit. Or, or let's say you're in a situation where there's gossip happening at the water fountain in your workplace. And you choose not to get engaged. Why? Because you're being directed by the Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit. There's, there's a situation where you could whine and complain. But because you're being directed by the Spirit and not the flesh, you choose not to whine and complain. Rather, you give thanks to God. That's what it looks like to be led by the Spirit, not the flesh. And I'm telling you, folks, you go check this out. Try it out this week. When you begin to live like that, people are going to... St- People are going to step up and say, well, what's different about your life? Because the way you're acting is not normal to humanity. It's not normal to what I've been experiencing. And you're going to be able to tell them the reason for your hope. Well, simply because you're being guided by the Spirit, not driven by the flesh. Hey, here's the third and final way that, that Peter directs us to live out this um, contagious faith. It's found in verse 12. So if, if well, it's actually on the screen, would you read verse 12 with me? Let's read this together. We have such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So our hope should cause us to live a contagious faith evidenced by our actions. So Peter here is calling us to live good lives that's producing good deeds. Good lives resulting in good deeds. That would be a witness to the world of the hope we have. It's it's through our actions that people should experience Jesus. It's through the deeds that we live out, carry out, that they should experience the hope of Christ. And in that, what? We're living a contagious faith. It's your good deeds. It's your kindness that is what? It, it's contagious. It, it engages them. It's a part of them changing the story of their lives. Let me just give you some real life examples, stories of where I've seen this happen. We have a, um, a middle school ministry here led by the awesome Pastor Luke Lang. How many of you love Pastor Luke? Isn't he great? If you have a middle schooler, you know, man, he is the man. Well, Pastor Luke and some middle schoolers, they do this outreach called Laundry Love. Laundry Love. And it's really simple. And it's all about just a good deed. They get a, a, a sack of quarters and they go down to the local laundromat and they pay for people's laundry. And, then, and there's nothing complicated about that, is there? They just go and you know, put quarters in the machine paying for people's laundry. Now, how many of you know, if you go pay for someone's laundry, that's like not normal, Right? And it's going to open the door, and it has opened the door for some really interesting conversations. Well, it's a good deed that opens the door for a contagious faith. It opens the door for someone to give reason for the hope that they have. Hey, here's another great story. This has been a little time back. 
there was a lady in our community who had several several incidents that happened in her life in the same season that there was tragic and it it really led her to a place of hopelessness uh, she just shut down like this you know couldn't function and it became evident over a period of time with her front yard and her backyard it literally became a jungle now that's not an exaggeration and there were a group of men who took one Saturday and they went over and did like this total yard makeover. Um, and the next day, this lady posted on Facebook, a lady who, again, was in a hopeless state, posted this on her Facebook page. She said, Jesus came to my house yesterday. Now, obviously, Jesus wasn't there. But there were a group of men who were about doing a good deed. And in that, what happened? Their faith became contagious. Their faith was a part of changing the story of a lady's life. Here's another great story. This just recently happened with one of our community groups. We have a number of community groups here at Grace. If you're not a part of a community group, I would really encourage you, man, you got to get connected to find a community group. But we have one community group that's about um, knitting. It's a group of Ladies who come together and they talk, they encourage one another, they pray and they knit. Knit hats and they knit blankets and then they take these hats and blankets to individuals who are in a process of going through um, chemo treatment and they bless them with, with hats and blankets that they've made. Um, and in that, they, what, they're doing a good deed, right? It's, a, it's an act of kindness. Well, this happened... A couple of weeks ago, someone sent me an email whom I've never met before. To this day, I haven't met them. But I want to read you the email. It's from a man who was in a hopeless place in his life. He, it, he was having his first chemo treatment at Lake Norman Oncology, and he had an encounter with an act of kindness. He had an encounter with a good deed, and he wrote me this email. Listen, listen as I read this. I am, recently diagnosed, I am a recently diagnosed cancer patient and started chemo treatments yesterday at Lake Norman Oncology. Two ladies from your congregation representing one of your ministries visited me during my treatment. They brought me inspirational materials, toiletries, and a beautiful knitted blanket and hat. That's a wonderful ministry. I felt like the man beaten beside the road and no one stops to help. But the Samaritan looked upon him as a neighbor and helped. Bobby and Ann and others in this ministry don't know me, but they looked upon me with compassion and as a neighbor. Please pass along my thanks to all involved in the ministry. It's a wonderful message of God's love, and it gave me hope. So here's a man in a hopeless situation who was encountered by hope through a a good deed through a hat and a blanket. And it was a part of turning the story of his life. It was a statement that brought him hope in the hopeless situation of his life. And again, folks, it wasn't anything really difficult. It wasn't anything really complicated. It's some wonderful sweet ladies who are knitting hats and blankets and then they're taking those and giving them to individuals. And it's that act of kindness. It's that good deed that brings hope. To hopeless people. And I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in John 13, verse 34 and 35, where Jesus said this, A new command I have for you. 
love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And then in verse 35, he goes on to say, catch this last line, by this, by how you love, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Now, how many of you know for love to be experienced, it has to be expressed? You can, you can tell me you love me all day long, but if I don't see the fruit of that, then I'm not certain you love me. For love to be experienced, it has to be expressed. And Jesus said the world will know that we're His disciples by how we love, by how we share the hope of Christ through our actions. Again, folks, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be complicated in small ways and big ways. As we're living out the gospel, as we're doing good deeds, what it, it reveals the love of the Father. It reveals the hope of the gospel. As we do that, what our lives become contagious. I would challenge you. Look for the opportunities. Listen, every day, This is what I know every day. Tomorrow, you're going to have an opportunity to do a good deed. You're going to have an opportunity to allow hope to spill out of your life. Listen, oftentimes we make this too difficult and too complicated. For example, just last week this happened. Um, My son, our son Caleb, uh, goes every day to Planet Fitness to work out. And and he's going into um, this fitness center. And there's a gentleman coming behind him and my son holds the door open for him so the gentleman can go in now that's not a big deal holding the door open for someone yet that small act of kindness that small deed so impacted this businessman that he comes over he introduces himself to my son gives him his business card and says you know there's not many young boys opening doors today for others if you never if you ever need anything here's my business card give me a call it was, just, it was opening a door. See, this is what I know. Tomorrow, you're going to have an opportunity for hope to splash out of your life. But through a small act of kindness, through a, a deed. Peter would say, don't miss that. Because again, folks, as I've said throughout the message today, hope is not just to be enjoyed and celebrated. Hope is to be shared. That people would experience the hope that we have in Christ and that we then would be a part of changing the story of their lives. It's not a choice as to whether or not we we believers wish to be representatives of Christ. We just are. You're a representative. I'm a representative of Christ. So what is the message others see in you? Or maybe I could restate the question like this. Is your hope in Christ evident and contagious? If not, why? If not, why? What adjustment might you need to make? And again, I I would just challenge you, I would encourage you, live your life in such a way that the hope of Christ is splashing out of your lives, that it's running over your life, and it's contagious to the point that it's attracting others. Always be ready to give reason for the hope that you have. In Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for the truth of your word, the encouragement of your word. And God, I thank you today, Lord, for for the hope that we have. Lord, the hope that we have as a result of, Lord, your gift of salvation in our lives. For your grace and your mercy. 
God, I thank you for the hope that we have, Lord, in any and every situation of life because of this fact, God, you're always working for our good. Lord, it doesn't mean that life is always good, but Lord, what we can be confident of, Lord, what fuels hope in our lives is that you're always in our corner working for our good. God, I thank you for the hope that we have, Lord, in life beyond this life. Lord, knowing that this is not the end, Lord, that it's really the beginning of true life in eternity because of the hope we have. So, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. And we celebrate that. And, Lord, my prayer today for myself as well, God, for all of my friends here. I have a lot of friends. For all of my friends here this morning, God, I pray for all of us. Help us to live a contagious faith. Help us to live out the faith life in such a way that people are encountered by the hope of Christ in us. Help us live in such a way that that hope spills over our lives and it encounters others. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and the courage to be a part of changing someone's story because of the hope of Christ within us. And I pray these things, God, for everyone here this morning. That the world would see the reality of Christ in us. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.